Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Thinking Outside the Vault. My name is Zach Garber, and my co-hosts are Andrew Swinney and Jessica Webb. Our guest is Greg Wimpy, Casasa's chief client officer. Over the last 13 years, Greg has consulted with more than 700 community financial institutions on their portfolio strategies. And today he came by to talk about the deposit repricing dilemma that many banks and credit unions are facing. Our conversation was so rich that we decided to split the episode into two parts for easier digestion. You're listening to part one. We hope you enjoy it. Anyway, Greg, we're really happy to have you on the podcast and looking forward to having this conversation. So uh, we can just dive right in if you kind of want to maybe set the stage for um, what you've been talking to FIs about. And uh, we'll kind of jump in with our questions as it works. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, no, it's it's been really interesting for me over kind of the first half of this year. I've had a, lots of opportunities uh, to just chat with, of course, our clients, but even just you know, uh, getting to go to the ICBA CFO forum and speak there, as well as just getting back actually from um, NAFQ's 52nd annual uh, uh, main convention. You know, one of the big topics that keeps coming up is, you know, deposit growth um, and, and specifically not just how to grow deposits, but how to grow deposits in this market because what these institutions are, are realizing is, is that we're in, um, a, a really unique market, which we say, or, or, or rather, I would say, in kind of an economic situation, which we hear a lot, and I feel like we're always in a unique economic situation. But you know, we've got kind of this weird um, combination of factors that are coming into play that I think are are really causing our institutions a lot of uh, concern about what should they be doing now and what should they be preparing for because. You know, obviously, we've been in a rising rate environment for the last couple of of years. Um, you know, Fed funds has has gone up significantly um, after spending you know basically a decade at at zero to twenty five basis points. And so, in that scenario, you've got you know a lot of pricing pressure to stay competitive. Um, but at the same point in time, we started this year with a ton of indicators. Um, that were suggesting that a recession was pending, looming, whatever you might want to say. And so, you know, you've got you've got these institutions that they've got the loan portfolio growth that they need. They need to feed this thing with deposits, but at the same point in time, you know, every publication out there that's you know credible on you know kind of these macroeconomic forces are saying, hey, there's something looming on the horizon, right? There's going to be a problem. And so how do you be price competitive now, but recognize that you're, you can't, you may not be in a situation that you're going to be able to hold that price competition. And then, you know, how much interest rate risk um, and in looming compression are you going to be facing um, if you try to get aggressive right now? And so it's just this, this weird situation that it's putting our financial institutions in to try to say, hey, I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. And and the things that I would normally do, I'm scared to do because it might cause me problems in the future. What are those things that they would normally do? Yeah. I mean, like right now, the go-to move is CD specials. And, you know, I feel like every, um, you know, every institution uh, that, that I've talked to, you know, if you either land on their homepage or you dig around on their, 
on their uh, you know their rates page. Um, hopefully, they're publishing their rates. But if you're digging around on their rates page, you'll you'll find that they've all got CD specials, right? And these are anywhere from you know most common that I'm seeing is in kind of the 13 months to so just over a year kind of range, and some of them are pushing out you know even to to two and three years. But you know they're they're pricing these these long term deposits and they're locking them in at you know at a pure cost of funds and a lot of these folks because because they are recognizing the pressure from online services um, they're trying to you know they're locking in at two and a half and upwards I was I looked at an institution yesterday that was pricing CDs right now at two point eight percent for long term money and and that's the go-to move right if you need deposits you're going to throw out a cd special and 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 let the big the big depositors come in and drop it in with you for a while and so is the big risk there that you're you're kind of locking that in for 2 years and then if the situation changes sometime within that period you're kind of stuck holding that rate and you don't have many options to play around with is that is that the major problem with that strategy? Yeah, that's that you you got it exactly right. So you've got you've got a scenario, right? When you when I when I give somebody a two year CD, basically what I'm telling them is for the next two years, I'm going to pay you whatever the agreed upon rate is. And so you know if we were talking about two and a half or two point eight, we're gonna lock in at two and a half or two point eight. And the financial institution has to do it. Like they don't they don't have an option. Right. There's no, hey, just kidding. I'm going to go ahead and cancel this money early kind of deal. Here's your deposit back. I'm, I'm on the hook until the consumer comes back uh, and either does, you know, does an early withdrawal or, um, or ladders that back into another investment or does something else with it. And the, the institution's locked in. And so you know, right now, you know, two point, I, I would argue that 2.5 in terms of pure cost of funds is, is, is even in today's market really high. Um, but you know, if you have, if you look at that in the context of all of this, you know, literature that's coming out, and I mean, even, even though the latest, um, the latest comments from the Fed suggesting that they're going to hold, they're going to continue to hold rates, or maybe even be looking to lower rates um, in, in the mid to long term, you know, if rates are going down and you're still committed to this two and a half percent CD for another year, you're in trouble. And so that's really where they're introducing their own risk if they if they go with their their kind of traditional move. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It, it, so CDs are obviously not the right vehicle, I guess, to be attracting deposits. Um, what is the right vehicle? Well, and so. I don't want to say that CDs aren't the the right vehicle. It's just I would say it rather that it it shouldn't be the main vehicle, right? There are definitely advantages to CDs. Um, one of those is you know the ability to match that CD to um, a loan or something else on on the asset side of the balance sheet, so that the the institution is kind of guaranteeing um, that they're going to make some margin. Um, on that money, so the you know the analogy there would be if I got if uh, somebody came in and and did a let's say a five year CD and they locked it in at three percent and I could then turn around and say okay you know somebody else comes in and does a five year loan for six percent well well now I'm guaranteed that you know quote unquote guaranteed that three percent difference the difference between the six percent and the three percent because I'm going to have that loan for five years. I've had that CD for five years, and you know, if they were the same amount, I would be, yeah, you know, I'd be guaranteed this margin. Now, 
truth be told, that loan, especially if you're talking about like car loans, is going to get refinanced. So you won't have it for that full five years. But you know, in concept, you know, those kinds of scenarios are where CDs are really good. Um, the the challenge though is exactly what we talked about is that you don't have any options in the future. And so this is really where you start talking about um things like Casasa Cash um and and those types of deposit products that allow the institution uh, a lot more flexibility both in the short term as well as in the long term um to be able to have a really attractive rate now um that's bolstered by the non-interest income associated with it actually being a checking account as opposed to just a fixed savings account or a CD so it allows you to be more competitive today where you've got a lot of competition but you've also got it structured as a variable rate account that gives the institution some options in the future to be able to adjust that rate depending on what's happening in the market so if you know all of this uh this uh negative news comes true and you know we're, we start back into a recession and rates start dipping again you know i'm not committed long term uh to that you know to that higher rate i actually have the option as a financial institution to come in make some adjustments uh to that rate um and and be uh, and have less interest rate risk on my books uh for the long-term play do you find that this is more important for people with a portfolio a loan portfolio that's longer term like mortgages or are you seeing this be more impactful for people who are really trying to match on their treasury side things that are shorter term like vehicle loans uh you know even used vehicle loans which tend to be even shorter yeah I, I, that's an awesome question i uh, i think it's it's a combination of both right i mean yeah certainly the short term um portfolio is going to have is going to have some inherent risks because that thing's going to be constantly turning. And so because it's constantly turning, it's completely subject to what's happening in the market at the point in time that those loans turn. And so um, and then you add to it things like um, you know, the the refinance risk when rate, you know, when rates start to drop, even though you might have locked somebody into a vehicle loan, they might come back and want to refi it because they're going to save 100 bips or 150 bips, whatever might have happened there. And so being able to have something that can from a deposit strategy standpoint that allows you to flex across across that type of variance in the market is hugely important if you've got a portfolio that looks that way longer term it's all about you know, i think the the real advantage from a casasa cash type of deposit strategy is that it gives you the ability to to generate more deposits with a bigger overall margin um, and that's you know, kind of what I was hitting on before when you start thinking about, um, you know, obviously CDs, money markets, savings accounts, those are all cost of funds money. You tell the consumer what rate you're going to pay them. Um, you, you know, they give you the amount of deposit. You pay that interest. That's pure cost of funds. There's really no, nothing else going on inside of that account. But when you talk about Casasa Cash, because it's a checking account, of course, you're going to have the interest that's associated with it. Um, but because it's qualification based, you don't wind up paying that full advertised rate on the whole of the deposit portfolio because you don't have to pay the full advertised yield when somebody fails to qualify. And then if you put a cap on it, which uh, almost all of our institutions do, you've got further reduction in overall cost of funds because you're not, you're not paying um, that full advertised yield for the above cap money. Um, and then you've got all of the additional non-interest income that's coming into play that's, that's adding another source of revenue 
um, into that to offset the, the cost of funds and the cost of the rewards, so, you know, rewards like the ATM fee refunds that we do, like you're offsetting that with the non-interest income. And so what it allows you to do is, is, is you know, recognize those additional sources of revenue, use that to justify a more aggressive rate in the market, grow that deposit base even bigger, um, but also recognize that even if you were, you know, as an example today, we've got, um, I've got one client uh, that we work with, they're out in Utah and right now they're advertising uh, 4% on uh, their checking account up to $50,000. Well, the actual cost of funds, the pure interest expense on that 4% is hovering right around 2.4%, which is really close to kind of where they are from a CD standpoint. Um, but once you factor in that non-interest income, we call all of and the additional non-interest expenses, um, we call that cost of deposits. When you factor in for all of that, they're actually closer to about 1%. So, you know, as opposed to going to market with a 2.4% CD and generating dollars that way, they're going out at 4%, generating a ton of volume, a ton of, of, of activity, new accounts coming in the door, but they're paying net less than they would had they advertised a lower rate on that CD. And so if you lay that into this, the scenario of a longer term portfolio, it just gives you so much more opportunity to generate more margin on those, on those long-term fixed assets because your funding strategy has got a lot more flexibility. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I could definitely see how that would bring, bring value uh, to, those, to those institutions. So. With everything that you said and the idea that, you know, traditional, uh, you know, traditional lending uh, was offset by traditional deposit generation through CDs. Um, do you see, uh, especially for our for our, our clients that are on the books and are, are you know, using this Casasa strategy and understanding a little bit more about how these checking accounts can be a great funding source? Do you see them also responding to that new wave of, I don't want to call it a threat, but the new wave of competition out there with the Marcus or the uh, Wealthfront, all of those online opportunities for consumers to go and get great interest rates. Do you see them having a focus on that or, or an awareness of that, a shift of strategy? I, I, I'll say it this way. I think I'm starting to see more of it um, in the conversations that, I, that I'm having, but I would also say that I'd I, I'm not seeing enough of it, you know, and this is where I think as an industry, um, our, you know, the, the traditional sources of data, um, are completely failing in terms of helping, you know, community financial institutions really understand, um, what, uh, what the level of threat is that they're facing. And what I mean by that is, you know, traditionally, if, if I was a, a community banker um, and I wanted to know how I was doing in terms of, you know, relative to my competition, how am I doing in terms of growing my presence in the market, I would go out to the FDIC, to their website, I'd pull a deposit market share for, you know, my town, my zip code, whatever it was that I wanted to kind of designate as the, the area that I was trying to serve. And, and it would tell me, here's all of the deposits that are coming in from that area, and here's what institutions have. Them. And you've got this great time study that you can do to be able to say, hey, you know, I've, I've moved from 10% to 15% over the last three years. You know, here's my you know, number one, number two competitors, all of that sort of stuff. And 
And traditionally, it was a great way to be able to, um, to really understand what was going on in your market, because you could also see growth of deposit, you know, total deposits in your market, all that sort of stuff. Um, you could see all of that and, and make your strategic decisions based on that data. Um, NCUA has something similar from the credit union side. Um, unfortunately, they consolidate you know, where the FDIC allows all of that data to be actually broken out by branches. The NCUA kind of consolidates it all to the headquarter branch. So it's not, it's not as helpful. And then, of course, you have to recognize that the FDIC data doesn't see the NCUA data. So if you're just looking at the banking side. You don't see the credit union information and vice versa. But even then, it was still really good information, at least directionally correct. The flaw in it right now is that none of that pays any credence at all to what's happening online. Um, and you know, you know I, I'll be the first to admit, I, you know, when I heard about Marcus, I went out and I opened an account and it was one of the greatest experiences that I've had. It took me seven minutes and they, in that seven minutes, not only did I open the account, but I had actually verified the deposit to be transferred out of uh, my online banking. Uh, and it moved or it actually floated the money for me while that transaction was happening. And so, you know, that, that initial transaction actually showed up in that Marcus account because they had verified it through my online banking. I mean, it, it was great and it was a great interface, great experience. I mean, everything, everything was awesome. But if you're not going out there and actively looking for that and you're used to kind of a way of doing the analysis to understand what your competition is, you won't see it. You won't know that it's there. If you're not actually you know, actively Googling high rate savings accounts or deposit rates or anything along those lines, you just, that data doesn't show up. And so what you wind up seeing if you're a community banker or somebody that's working at a credit union is you know, your deposits start to slip. Um, you may not even notice that you, know, you may not see your account holders necessarily closing their accounts because they still want to have a local branch where they can walk in and deposit a check. But what you will see is, you know, an ACH transaction, uh, moving that money out to Marcus or one of those other online solutions. And, you know, the day after the same amounts automatically deposited from their direct deposit. Um, and so there's just there's this complete lack of data um, available. Uh, you know, through those traditional means for our financial institutions to be able to to be alerted to it and and quite frankly you know there's not enough folks that are in the industry that are really kind of uh, of of shouting at the rooftops about this for them and so what winds up happening is you know the the way things have always been done or the way things we continue to see them see them be done uh in the industry and and we just kind of continue to slowly lose market share so what are the um What's the solution then? I mean, if, if traditional data sources aren't cutting it, then where do we suggest that people go to fill the gap? Yeah. So there are, um, there's a couple of options. Okay. That's it for part one of our conversation with Greg Wimpy. How's that for a cliffhanger? Make sure to look for episode two so you can hear Greg's answer and a lot more. And as always, thank you for listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast produced by Kasasa. If you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, feel free to email us at social at kasasa.com.